Hey guys, welcome back to another Sentai-rific episode of Fanholes Sentai Saturdays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be your host tonight, and I am joined tonight by a very special guest. Returning to Fanholes Sentai Saturday is our favorite expert on all things Godzilla, the Kaiju no Kami himself, Marcos, also known as Martz on Batok. Hey, what's up, buddy? How's it going? Good. Glad to be here again. Awesome. This is cool to have you back and everything. And the reason why we're having you back on the show is because as of November, Shout Factory has released Die Ranger out on DVD. It is an official Region 1 release, so we're both really excited about that. Originally, Sentai Saturdays started out as a index show on Die Ranger way back before it was licensed. We got through about five episodes, and so, uh, you know, as Tony's always lamenting on the podcast, we want to get back to this show and everything, and I know talking to you has been that opportunity for myself to revisit Sentai Saturdays. I enjoy talking about Sentai, Super Sentai, and everything like that, and I'm glad to have you on the show. And so what we decided we would do is, now that it's been officially released, Die Ranger, this is not going to be an index show like we did before, where we sort of get into all the minutiae and the detail, but this is just going to be a kind of broad overview on Die Ranger. So if you haven't seen the whole series, we may very well be spoiling some stuff for you, but that's just a, a friendly warning. But just to go into sort of a high-level overview about what Die Ranger is about, I'll go into that, and then we'll just start, you know, shooting the breeze with our buddy here about Die Ranger and his own review on it over at Kaiju no Kami. So just so everybody knows, this is the basic long and short of Die Ranger, which I've shamelessly stolen from the Ranger wiki. Over 8,000 years ago, the Dao civilization flourished in southern China. The Dao's empire consisted of three tribes, Dai, Shura, who are the ancestors of today's form of humanity, and the Gorma, who all lived harmoniously. However, one day the Gorma tribe tried to take over the empire. Thus began a war between the Gorma and the Dai tribe. This battle continued for 5,000 years, led by the Gorma Trumvariat. The mythical Kaiden beasts appeared to oppose the Garma, whose magical powers had increased to the point where they could turn themselves into monsters. Five Dai warriors and their chi powers had increased to the point where they could control the mythical Kaiden beasts. The war then ended with the disappearance of both the Dai and Gorma tribes. However, in 1993, the Gorma tribe, one of Dao's two missing branches, revived to take over the world. To counter them, Master Kaku, who I famously refer to as Master John Lennon with his glasses, assembled a team of five <laughs> youths with high levels of chi energy, and they became, who we know as the Super Sentai team, the Dai Rangers, to fight off the Gorma. So that's kind of the long and short of Die Ranger at a high level and everything. And of course, just like all Super Sentai teams, we've got red, green, blue, yellow, and pink rangers. The red ranger is the Ryu Ranger. His name is Ryu. Ryo. Ryo. And then we've got the green ranger, and his name is Daigo. He's the Shishi Ranger. 
And we've got the Blue Ranger, Shoji, who is the Tenma Ranger. We've got the Yellow Ranger, who is Kazu, who is the Quil Quillen Ranger. They, they, they do that uh, thing that you said in the the subtitles, where it's like the Krillin or the... the... Ki they put it as Keelan, it's pronounced Kieran. Kieran, Kieran Ranger. And then we've got the Pink Ranger, Lin, who is the Ho-Ho Ranger. And then we've got, for, for the, the special, long-awaited Sixth Ranger, we've got who we know in America as the White Ranger, which is the Kiba Ranger, who is played by a young man named Ko. So that's, I mean, that's the long and short of Die Ranger as a Super Sentai team. Now, I know you just finished your own review and you had your own thoughts on Die Ranger and everything, but do you want to kind of tell the listeners, like, how you were sort of introduced to Die Ranger? Like, this is this is one of your favorite oh, yeah. Super Sentai series, no? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I, um, back in 2003, when I was first getting into Sentai, I got, got into Gal Ranger when they had those DVDs with the really bad English subtitles, the English subs. Where, where everybody was calling everybody asswipe and stuff like that? <laughs> Pretty much, if they had the wrong names. Well, I bought some Raws from a guy named Otaku Hell who was selling Die Ranger and Jude Ranger DVDs that were ripped from VHS tapes. So I bought both series from him, and I first I started watching Die Ranger first, and I just instantly fell in love with the show with its fast-paced nature, the choreography of the fights, the music, the characters were very compelling, and it also helped that the mecha for the Keaton Beasts were actually my was my favorite mecha in the Power Rangers adaptations. Oh yeah, Dyreno, like that that I, I think for me I was introduced to that mecha through Power Rangers, obviously. I, I feel like like that snapshot in time of Power Rangers is sort of how I how I always viewed them, you know, like the the White Ranger and then the other members of the team. Kind of, I, I suppose, like just right before the movie era, I suppose. And like that that mecha, I I love that mecha. I mean, I I think it's a fabulous suit, and it just it's very to me it's very iconic. Like of of either you know Super Sentai or Power Rangers, it's kind of got that great samurai look to it and everything. And and kind of how you describe on your review, it's kind of cool to see how Rio has his own, you know, suit, but then the other beasts kind of formulate like this armor around him. So then he's even larger and, and bigger and more awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, the monster designs as well were some of my favorites for Power Rangers. So that it was so nice to finally get to see those in their original nature, fighting the, the costumes they were supposed to with no more cut footage of a monster Oh, seeing a ranger punch the camera, and then you see the monster back away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it is pretty awesome to see this in its original form. Now, now one thing you didn't bring up on the review that I thought I'd, I'd broach with you that I, I think is kind of interesting is I, I've heard a lot of people mention this, and I, I kind of noticed it myself. But one of the early arcs for Rio for for the the re ranger is that he basically is forced to confront. His father, who goes by the name Iron Face Chiryu. Yes. So, and and in that case, this is a case of where, you know, of course, spoilers, but it, this is a case where it's a generational story. And, uh, you know, as in the description, you know, there was this battle many, many years ago with these two warring tribes. And it turns out that 
this Iron Face fellow was actually the original Rio Ranger, and he betrayed his team a long time ago and ended up joining the enemy, the Gorma tribe. And so there's this interesting notion that's put forth by most people, and it, it seems pretty obvious to me, but I, I thought I'd ask you about it since it was something you, you didn't discuss on your review, is that you know, this is very Star Wars. You know, you've got you've got Rio kind of playing like the Luke Skywalker role, trying to bring his father, who's kind of masked and villainous like Darth Vader, back to the good side. And even the the person who is his mentor, the, this guy they call Archbishop Saw, who looks like strangely in a in a <laughs> Japanese production, he he appears to be a Caucasian guy with a beard, and he kind of has almost this pointy grand wizard kind of you know yeah. KKK hat and everything, and he he looks pretty villainous and and he uses electricity when he zaps people and everything so i i couldn't help but think of return of the jedi when i was seeing those sort of early episodes you know post i guess what we've discussed on sentai saturdays so it's like probably like seven and eight the episodes that i'm talking about but i just thought i'd ask you like it was that something that was was very obvious to you at the start did you did did it come to you later on like is that something that you saw within that show haha <laughs> saw <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually, well, actually, some of the music to Die Ranger does seem re very reminiscent to the Imperial March in one of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, I've but, yeah. I I did see a lot in there. Like the Sentai of the '80s was highly influenced by Star Wars, so seeing a little bit of that carry over the '90s was no surprise to me. Okay. I actually, I really love that arc. I love that they had to earn the ability to form Dyrano. Oh, yeah, yeah. Other, because if you look, the armor, when you see Dyrano, his armor pretty much resembles the same armor his father wore. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because they he does have that samurai look about him. Like, I even kind of thought a bit of Shredder from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the way, especially like the, the, the 89 movie version of Shredder where, you know, you can see the human eyes and face, but he's got these, you know, sort of pieces that are just fixated to the shape of his face and everything. So I, I also thought he was, I mean, I thought he was a pretty imposing villain and it was cool that, that you already had that emotional connection with the, the lead character and everything. Yeah, so I did find it very Star Wars-y. I felt that they did it right. They didn't hammer it in too much where it felt like a total ripoff. It was more of a homage to it and influenced by it. So I do enjoy what they did there. Cool. That's very cool. I think the only downside is that it was kind of obvious when you have that little flashback with Ryo where he's like, I don't know what my father looked like. It was kind of obvious, oh, it's going to be the villain. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think maybe they telegraphed that a little bit. But I mean, I imagine the age range the show is is aimed at, you know, that 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 wouldn't be unusual. You know, it's not like they were trying to be overly subtle about it. They just kind of wanted to, to sort of plant those seeds early on, you know, because it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you could sit there and kind of go, well, who else could it possibly be? Right. But but I think, you know, if you're a kid watching it, you probably just make those connections and make it really, you know, strong and hammer it home and everything. So uh, another character that has a, a long and interesting arc, and this was something that you did bring up on your review and everything, is Daigo. And Daigo is the, the Green Ranger, the Shishi Ranger, and he ends up formulating a, a strong emotional bond with a character named Kujaku, who I thought was super hottie. Like she was awesome. Peacock, 
peacock lady girl. She was like super hot and everything. But, uh, you know, apparently like she starts out and she's trapped in a mirror and everything like that. And he, he you know, consents her and, and helps her get freed. And then there's this interesting arc where, you know, she kind of... It's weird, like, I, you know, I, I think they kind of describe her as an ally of the Die Rangers, but there, there's also a lot of conflict in that because she sort of has her own agenda and goes about doing things her own way, and, you know, Daigo is clearly hung up on her. He's clearly like, you know, this is my soulmate, I'm in love with this, you know, beautiful peacock lady, but then some of the things that, you know, some of her goals, you know, conflict with what what the team has to do so it's like they you know the character's torn so it makes for some really interesting and fun drama and i just thought i'd ask you if you wanted to go into that any you know any further than you did on the on the uh the review that you did well i really love the way they developed kujaku is i mean, she started out being all about vengeance and even in her second episode with the ceramic funeral figure monster where she used the little girl as a decoy but then when the little girl didn't hold a grudge over her and she just started to grow throughout everything and it, her end goal was to pretty much redeem herself in Gara's eyes to bring Gara back being good by healing her. She in those episodes spread throughout just had so much growth that you don't even see a lot in a lot of Sentai series today. Yeah, it's, it, she does really because she has that moment where, you, you know, you kind of think about it and think, did she... Did she forget her humanity in a way? Like, you know, because it, it it's almost like she was so focused on on vengeance at some point, you know, that like you're saying, she she ignores sort of the peril she puts this little girl in. But what what's great about it is you you know, you have that moment like you're saying where the, the little girl is kind of listening to, I guess, the the protagonists, the heroes of the piece, and it's like, oh, you know, when animals are wounded, and it, it also ties into Daigo's profession outside of being a hero you know he is a pet shop you know owner manager you know he takes care of animals and he he sort of imparts this this wisdom of a pet shop owner onto a little girl you know kind of saying look you know just because this animal is barking at you and 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 is going crazy and everything it's like you can you know that's only because it's scared and 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 you know it's okay to you know, try to reach out and, and help this this creature and everything. And and she kind of imparts that life lesson that Daigo teaches her to Kajaku, you know, and, and Kajaku realizes then sort of, you know, how misguided she's been in, in her pursuit of vengeance, that it's 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 affecting other people that she she didn't intend to be responsible for. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's very cool. You know, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I thought it was compelling drama for, you know, for something that essentially is, you know, uh, a, an entertaining distraction for, for the youth of Japan, you know, so. Oh, yeah. And it's also one of those arcs that I think just everyone is just surprised by initially because it's something you don't expect to see in a Sentai series, especially given what has occurred well before it, before Die Ranger hit. You're just like, wait, who, what, what? We're having this character that's going to be throughout the entire series with this storyline? Oh, cool. Yeah, it was fun to see, like, the through lines of, of like, a lot of the other characters. Because even if Rio, you know, doesn't always encounter his father for the rest of the series, he does seem to have rivalries with with a number of other characters being, like, the lead, you know, Red Ranger of the crew and everything. So, like, I, I, I remember thinking that um, the... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the guy's name now. But the, the guy he has, like, the main rivalry oh, with who kind of... 
Jin, right? He 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 looks kind of like he he reminds me a little bit of like like he's got that weird like witchblade look, but he's kind of like Fist of the North Star looking yeah. too, you know, like because he he you know it's like he he's this badass assassin when he starts out, and he's just kind of like. It's like if Gogol 13 just like did kung fu or something all the time or whatever and he runs around killing all those those you know old masters and everything but then by a certain point in the series it's like he gets the upgrade from the Gorma tribe and then he becomes his own sort of beast but 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 again the character is compelling because he doesn't he he, he kind of has his own sense of of morality, his own sense of what he thinks is right and wrong. And, it, you know, obviously like he, he does do a lot of things that most people would be like, Oh my God, he, you know, he, <laughs> he did, he pulled the Kaiser Soze. Like he killed his own girlfriend. Like what a nasty so-and-so, you know? And, and, and to him, he was just trying to, to wipe out all his weakness. But at the same time, like there, there are moments where he sees the Gorma tribe going after the Die Rangers or Rio and everything. And he's not going to stand for it either because he's like, this is, this is personal. Like, I don't want anybody to interfere in this fight. Like it's got to be fair kind of in his mind. Like he's got to right. prove himself. So I, you know, I, I think all those things were, were very, you know, not only compelling, but also kind of interesting. And he's, he's definitely a cool character. Like I, I, I think of, you know, those kind of rivalries seem to be a, a staple in, in Japanese entertainment. And, and it, this was another fun, you know, sort of rivalry and, 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 you know, and eventually like my buddy Mike on the podcast always likes to say, you know, it does often result in a rival fusion where, you know, the two guys have to sort of team up against, another character and everything like that. And and I, I think that's realized to some extent in this in this series. Oh yeah. I mean the Jin pretty much is only in like five episodes of the entire series, but he brings so much growth to Rio in those episodes when he does appear that it really helps his character out. This the rivalry between them because every time Jin is essentially nearly going to win the battle so Ryu has to find some new way to fight to defeat him and I really love that the the sort of exit of the character too like you were talking about like all the really great like sunset shots that they have oh. and stuff like that I mean they're all very very beautiful and stuff oh, so yeah. it's it's it, you know I, I think all that is very very well done yeah I actually have one of my one of my deleted jokes that didn't make it into the final review for Die Ranger was actually I compared the Gorma to the villains from Mad Max oh, okay because all like with all the tight leather and everything it just was like hey look they look like they're out of Mad Max yeah yeah totally totally it, it, it it's like it's like Mad Max but if if it was like that you, you know who he reminded me the most of from from Fist of the North Star was like Joggy you know, like, because he's, like, the, this badass evil guy with, like, an open vest kind of and leather and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, I thought he was totally cool. Like, and I, I enjoyed watching them, you know, combat one another. And, of course, Ryu having to, to you know, grow, I guess, not only as a character, but, but grow physically, you know, like, that, that he's got to match up to this guy's strength and power and everything. So I, I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah, especially in the first two part when Ryu has all it's like the springs all around his body. Yeah, yeah. Master the technique. Yeah, and, and and the fact that like these guys really do get I mean, I know I know it's, you know, supposedly for children, you know, for kids of a young age, but I mean he really does put himself under a lot of, of physical torture to to sort of 
better himself, you know, like, cause he's, 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 you know, he's bloody and he's got all this, you know, like you said, all this kind of mechanized stuff where he's like actually like, you know, hurting himself just to get better, which I, I think is kind of interesting. Oh yeah. For, for Shoji, like he is a boxer or he, his dream is to become like, uh, you know, a, a, a championship boxer and everything. Right. And this is the, the blue, the Tenma Ranger. And, and it's interesting because I think, I think when I first saw this show, I, I thought of Daigo as kind of like the brash, that guy of the group, you know, kind of the, the Wolverine type. And, and people were arguing with me saying, no, we really think it's Shoji who's the kind of <laughs> brash guy. And, and, and I think, you know, over the course of the series, that's probably, there, there's a lot more truth to that. You know, he is, right. he is kind of like this almost like great teacher Onizuka before he was a teacher type character, you know, this kind of guy who, who is uh, abrasive and loud and kind of you know isn't afraid to share his opinion and everything like that and i think that's why he ends up getting strongly tied to the gorma villains who are referred to as the three gorma stooges because they they have an air about them where they're they're kind of outsiders in the gorma tribe and then the the one main stooge the i guess the the mo if you will of the stooges oh kamikaze Kamikaze is is very much like I, I was trying to do research on it, but he's very much a Bosuzoku, like a, a Japanese biker yeah. type guy, because he's got he's got the the flag of the rising sun is his head, and then the other thing I noticed, which I, I'm wondering if if anybody who bought the Die Ranger DVD set, if there are any parents or, or people that are freaking out but there is that shot where on his japanese bike you know he's got the swastika and everything on the bike and and when i was doing research on it i assumed it was something like oh japan you so crazy like i knew there was some reason about like why that was but it's it sounds like that those groups like to sort of wear or coat themselves in visual paraphernalia that is shocking just to be shocking right you know just just it, 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 you know i i don't think it, it uh, at least from what i can gather it, it it's more out of taking imagery that will intimidate but not necessarily having the exact meaning of that original imagery if that makes any sense but that, that was something i thought that stood out to me where i was kind of like oh look you know i'm all kamikaze he's got the little you know nazi symbol on the back of his bike and everything <laughs> and and i was kind of like you know the, the other thing that i think is interesting is that those characters are are essentially in some ways like i think you were talking about it it didn't bother me i think as much as it bothered you but they are kind of comic relief you know like they are they they, they end up becoming sort of accepted or, or at least reformed in some way. Right. And, you know, you, like you, you, you mentioned like the soccer episode stood out to you just because it was kind of like wacky and offbeat and everything. And it wasn't quite as serious as all the other ones. Like I, I kind of took that as like, I don't know if you've ever seen like, you know, certain Star Trek series or whatever, but no. like it, it reminded me like on, on Deep Space Nine, there's an episode where they all play baseball in the holodeck. And it's like, it's a great episode, but I mean, if you're in the middle of this big Dominion War, which they were at the time, I could see your point of view where you're like, oh, I want to get back to the, you know, the core right. story, you know, the Ooh. core war. But but there is that moment where, you know, you, you kind of take a breather from from that kind of stuff and, and you, you get to see all the characters in, in that kind of fun environment or even like, you know, when like the X-Men it seemed like the X-Men in the comics, it was always like, oh, we're playing baseball, we're playing basketball. Like, you know, just a fun way to get to know right. the, the 
quote unquote team as they as they play this sport. And I kind of took that episode that way that, you know, you, you, you got to know you know, Shoji a little better in context of interacting with these these stooges and everything like that. Yeah, I, I've definitely warmed up to the, the Sambaka's episodes the more I've watched them. But yeah, when I first watched the show, I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> this doesn't fit with anything that's been going on so far. They, they are quite shocking. I mean, you know, and, and they are, they, they do, they, they, it is... It is, uh, uh, you know, episodes that don't quite follow the the primary mythology of the show. But uh, I mean, again, like you mentioned, even the the other the other guy, um, I, I don't remember his name exactly, but there was that other, you know, kind of non mythology episode where you had the Gorma who ran around in the sombrero and had the peg yes. leg that like shot people and everything. Like, I mean, that that also was, you know, highly amusing, even though it didn't didn't fit with the, the, the main mythology episodes, I, I suppose you would say. Right. Well, that one I found interesting just because he he was exiled from the Gorma and the music that is used for him yeah, yeah. on screen, he just brought such a big presence and his design itself is, just really stands out from the norm. Especially with the eye, since all the Gorma have like an eye somewhere on their body, his eye was being on the leg that was cut off uh, but yeah, that's one of the episodes I just find myself watching the most whenever I will just randomly watch an episode. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun episode. I mean, it, it, it's very cool. It, you know what it kind of, like, I, I, I think of things where they have comparable examples, but it, it sort of reminds me of the episode of Cowboy Bebop where you had the... I'm trying to think of his name, like Pierre Lafoe yes. or something like that, where he he leaps around and does all this cool stuff. It's not it's not like essential. Like if you miss that episode of Cowboy Bebop, it's not like you're gonna miss a dynamic between like Spike and Vicious, and you're missing like the main story and backstory and everything. But that episode is just a great episode. Oh, funny to, enough, to reflect the series, you know. Funny enough, that's actually my favorite Cowboy Bebop episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think those two episodes are, you know, that that episode of Dire Ranger and and Bebop are very similar in tone. You know, if you like one, you would you would enjoy the other, as as evidenced by my guest. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 I just need to, to crack some jokes about Kazu, who is the Yellow Ranger, and, and just mention that, that his occupation, it's funny, I was reading it, it's like, he's a stylish hairdresser and dancer, you know, and all, all I could think of is like, dude, Battle France lives on in, <laughs> in, in Kazu, you know, like, he's, he's totally stylish. It's funny, like, now, th- this character, and I, I don't know if it's influenced by you know, crazy Jackie Chan movies of the time or, or what the deal was, but he has that kind of drunken fighting style where he, he fights the tofu monster or whatever he is, you know, with that, that sort of drunk style and everything, which which I, I found kind of interesting. Like, I, I'm sure that wouldn't go over on Power Rangers. You're like, <laughs> he's like, I'm doing my Heineken style. <laughs> you know, and he's beating people up. But but on this, it I mean, it works. I mean, it, you know, and, and that character, you know, gets to form, like, friends friendships with the the turtle guy and everything right i'm trying to think of that's cameo right There's yeah the cameo. yeah and so like that can we talk about that guy for a minute like he's he's an interesting character but like all i could think of when i saw the episodes with him is like dude's always putting turtles in his pockets and taking <laughs> them with him and like all i could think of is like and and he's not a tiny guy, right? Like, I mean, he's he's, he's a bulky guy. Like, he eats uh-huh. his Wheaties, right? And all I can think of is like, 
holy shit, man, what, what's going to, like, are you sure those turtles are okay in your pockets, man? <laughs> like, I don't know if he's going to, like, sit on them or if he forgets about them and stuff. And he does even, like, lose one of the turtles at some point in the in the shows and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, man, like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I felt concerned for the turtles, even though I knew he was just putting, like, his fist in his pocket. But I was like, if those are real turtles, man, like, that's... And, and I get that, like, he loves the turtles and it's supposed to be an indicator of, of you know, he, he just he won't leave his babies like they'll they'll right. all be with him and everything and that you know leads him to to being the the i guess the spiritual force that awakens that you know kaiden beast that is the the turtle and everything but yeah. i i just kind of you know and, and 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 then the fact that like it's funny like i don't think it dawned on me right away that he was played by two different actors but i i think once i got to the episode where it switched over i kind of thought what happened to him? Something's different, you know. And I'm like, oh, he's a totally different dude. Oh yeah. Is there is there a story behind why that change happened? There must be some kind of story. I have no idea. I've again, one of the actually another piece that I cut out from my review was that I mentioned that I have never found out exactly why they changed actors mm. during this because yeah, one of the episodes when he turns in, he's the first regular actor, but then he gets transformed into the turtle. So when he comes back. As the uh, gets back to human form, it's the other actor playing him. Mm. So I'm not sure if maybe he just wasn't working out from what they needed with the with his acting or what. But yeah, I never I've never found out the exact reasonings behind that. Okay, okay. Well, I guess maybe that's something that'll go down forever in mystery, or maybe maybe people who are bigger experts than us will one day write a book and reveal the tell-all secrets about. <laughs> Why? Why Kamau had to be played by two different actors over the course of the the fifty or so episodes. But we've got we've got Lin, who is from China, who is the the Ho Ranger, and she's the Pink Ranger and everything. And and she seems to have a pretty strong relationship with Ko, who is the the Kiba Ranger. And you know, I, I it's funny. I've been exposed to so many memes, jokes, and and insinuations about. You know, Kiba Ranger, because you know it's like you know Justin himself. You know, Kiba Ranger's a pervert. We've got we've got a sidecast that's titled Kiba Ranger is a pervert. So like that's always been something like stuck in my head. I've I've, I've got an avatar right now where these guys set up their figure arts to uh, to grope uh, another figure art that's a you know cute little schoolgirl and everything. <laughs> and and I mean there there are certainly instances where he he gropes. You know he certainly gropes. Lynn a lot and everything and and there's the you know one or two funny moments where you know they play it for laughs where he uses his sort of wind powers to blow up girls skirts and this and that and the other thing but I, I guess I'll just throw it out there like was was he really that pervy like I mean it seemed like it was some of it was focused on on Lynn as like a I don't know a, a replacement mother figure or something like that but I mean in terms of girls his own age it's like it's funny like i i remember those figure art photos that you did where it's like keeper ranger was like looking up scalar sailor moon skirts you know and stuff like that and I, I i literally expected like he was gonna you know find some some poor you know 13 year old girl and look up her skirt and that like never happened so to me i was just kind of like oh well you know yeah okay so so he so he he you know it's like kind of like so he used his jedi force powers to to blow up some skirts i was like but it's not I was like, the only thing that like freaked me out is how hard he would grope poor what's her faces, you know, Lynn's 
<laughs> Lin's chest. I was like, I was like this weird Japanese thing. It's like you can't just like, you know, appreciate the the cleavage. No, for some reason it's like in Japan you have to like mash it and destroy it or whatever. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, Japan? But, well, how you about know, the scene where he accidentally groped Earring Sister? <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know, but I I just thought I'd throw that out there. Like, I mean, do you do you agree with your your you know little figure comic comics and and suggestions? Like, is he really that pervy, or or has this been sort of overblown for for a few instances of pervy? Well, a scene that I've dealt with ten year olds a lot and nine year olds, and I've seen some can, that can be pervy like that. I think it's pretty accurate. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a growing boy. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I thought maybe it was like, to me, I'm like, oh, maybe that's a little overblown and stuff like that. Now, the, the other thing about Ko that I'd like to discuss with you in particular, because I know you're a big fan of the Dragon Ranger, and, and I, I 100% agree with your assessment that the way the Dragon Ranger is used is is sparingly and when he shows up he's he's an awesome force to be reckoned with and and that's an in-story explanation you know you've got the the waning candle and you know when you don't see him you know it's because he's trying to preserve what little life he has left and when you do see him it's because he's going to be awesome and kick ass so having sort of set that up i think that Kiba Ranger in some cases is sparingly used, but I didn't always understand the reasoning for it. It was like, once he showed up, I sort of expected him to be in every episode from the end. It's like, I'm living with Lynn now. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, if he's living with her, then he should be in like every single episode. But it seemed like there were those instances where it's like, hi, I'm the new Ranger and nobody knows I'm the new Ranger. I'm going to move in with one of the, the girl Rangers and she's going to be like a surrogate mother to me. And then it's like five episodes go by. I'm like, what the fuck happened to him? Where did he go? Did they like cook him? Did he disappear? <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and, and I didn't feel like there was any in-story explanation of, of, of sort of his absences. And then all of a sudden it, it seemed like the timetable you know, to, to make it urgent, there was that story plot about how if he doesn't do something before his 10th birthday, then he would, you know, go full, full Gorma or whatever. And you're like, oh, well, now there's this sense of urgency where it's like, oh, we have to help, you know, help Ko, you know, so that he stays a good guy. I, I'm just curious, like, like, do you, do you have any thoughts on, I guess, the the sort of benefits or i guess the the positives of how the dragon ranger as a sixth ranger was handled versus how the kiba ranger was handled as a sixth ranger well i think it's pretty good the the way they did it i because a lot of the plots he would have just felt shoehorned in especially like in the episode with Daigo and Kujaku, yeah, yeah, he would he would have just not fit in at all like that episode. I I think I think if he was in the episode, he'd be all over Kujaku because I know I would be all over <laughs> Kujaku, and that would totally like ruin the dramatic tension. So I I agree with that assessment. And then if you look at like the the baseball episode with the three Stooges, where he just appears out of nowhere to help save the day, he just kind of felt that he was just thrown in there because they needed him to. Yeah. So I felt, I feel that they just didn't put him in there in every episode because he just didn't fit with every episode. Okay. I mean, that, you know, that's fair. I just, I just didn't think there was always a reason why he wasn't just, just like you didn't think there was a reason why he should just pop up at the end of an episode. I kind of felt like there wasn't a reason why he shouldn't be in the episode either. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it, it seemed like there, there could have been some, some, you know, 
terminology, some kind of, of, of in-story reasoning why, you know, maybe he was here some of the time and, and other times he was. It also could be some of, a, some of it might have taken place when he was in school and he couldn't yeah, have yeah. just, like, left school to, like, Gohan did in Dragon Ball. Oh, I'm going to uh, go to the bathroom for, like, three hours. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I think if that was spelt out, you know, you had scenes of him, you know, perving on girls at school and saying, oh, I can't leave until the bell rings, then maybe I'd be more inclined to be like, I wouldn't have the question of where is he? I'd know. You know, I know he's at school. As opposed to a lot of these episodes, I just kind of went, what the hell happened to him? Where did he go? You know, like that kind of thing. Is I'm like, is he? did somebody leave him at home? And then there, there's the little <laughs> notes on the fridge. It's like, Co, made you dinner. It's in the fridge. You know, like whatever. <laughs> you know, stuff, stuff like that. You know, the other thing that I think is w- worth talking about since we're on Ko, because Ko, Ko seems to be part of the primary mythology here because, you know, he does have that, element like we said where he he could become a, a full-on gorma and he has got the little tattoo to prevent that from from occurring and everything like that and that was he you know he's searching for his mother who i guess installed that tattoo and everything like that and so through him you you get exposed to like a lot of the villains and 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 different main nemeses and everything i, I think it's worth discussing ko's arch nemesis who akamaru. i'm gonna say is akamaru and and wow like what i i hate that little kid man like i i that was one of those things where i was just like what and he's blowing his little party tongue favor thing and and i was just what is this all about it's weird it's like it's like visually visually i get it i get why you like like some of the monsters and even visually akumaru is a brilliant visual but it seems like they had to cast it in live action and it's like through no fault of you know the 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 kid actor either like he's a kid you know like you can only do so much but it's just like i don't i don't know like i mean i i don't know that i was supposed to love him or anything like that but i i it wasn't like i thought he was a cool villain either like like when when he when he quote unquote died that first time i was like oh thank god like no more of him and then you know and then i'm like no he came back like why is he back like well the thing is that with the way it goes is he's meant to be a cop like a compliment opposite to cole because cole Yeah, yeah. desperately trying to find his mother. She can't. Akomaru hates his father and wishes he could get rid of him, but he can't. Yeah, yeah. So they're like complete polar opposites on both ends of the spectrum, and it real. I for that, that's what really welds those two together for me. Yeah, Akomaru, I do feel is a little bit of a goofy type in concept and. I do agree. He does kind of get annoying after a while, but they. I think. I think that they really wanted someone who could fight with Cole that it wouldn't feel like too much child abuse. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That. That makes sense. I mean, I, I. I think. I think Akumaro has a lot of those strange elements just for the sake of of to weird the audience out or at least it, for me I think it weirds out like a Western audience because because he does have that weird dichotomy of he's. He's he's almost an adult, but in the form of a child. Like you know who he reminds me of that also annoys me to an extent and annoys a lot of fans is the the little kid in the first season of Buffy. It's like not the master, but the little. I don't know if you you're familiar with that at all. I'm but not. how's the annoying one? He doesn't want to play. <laughs> Figures. Well, suppose I better go make nice. 
You failed. I, um, I offer penance. Penance? You should lay down your life. Our numbers are depleted. The Feast of St. Vigius has been ruined by your impatience. I was rash. And if I had to do it all over again, <laughs> who am I kidding? I would do it exactly the same. Only I'd do this. No! There, there's this there, in the first season of Buffy. There's this little kid, and all Buffy fans that are listening to this are like, "Oh my god, yeah, that kid's so annoying." <laughs> and and I'm like sitting there going, "That's what I feel like when I see Akamaru." So so it's like that's I mean that's the best example I can give of of my feelings without uh, sort of verbalizing them in a in an effective way, I suppose. But but that's that's kind of how I feel about that character. But like you said, they do have a lot of ties together. Where you know Ko's looking for his mother, and then and then Akamaru hates his father and and then his father is part of like the main gorma baddies or whatever he is he is shaddam and like he he's basically like w one of the three main bad guys that that is often fighting the die rangers those guys that like we we talked about this on on one of the podcasts where we did an index on you know the die rangers show where the, these guys like beat the fuck out of the i mean like they're they're badass like i mean especially when they first show up and everything and yeah i mean later on i guess some of them get a little more jokey as the as the the series continues but but Shaddam is always kind of like a force to be reckoned with and he's oh, yeah. he's very he's 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 almost as dismissive of of Akumaru as Ko's mother is is uh sort of protective and and caring for him do you know what i mean mm -hmm. it, it, it's almost like you know Shaddam is just like yeah you're dumb little shit i hope you die you know and 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 part of me like I, you know i was hard pressed not to not to agree with him half the time because of how i felt but you know <laughs> but but i mean he he is a a a very interesting character and i, I guess we learn that that you know ko's mother is is also akumaru's mother and and that they you know Shaddam and and Ko's mother had this kind of relationship and everything, which I I, I thought was kind of a, a interesting reveal and twist and everything. And then it ties those characters even more together that they're actually not only are they you know arch rivals and everything, but they are actually siblings. Yeah, the uh, the reveal was really I was I thought was handled well because you were kind you could kind of see it, but you weren't completely sure. And then when it just happens, when she's like, "Wait, what? She's I, he's my son too." Yeah. One thing I did want to go back to about with um Kazu that I thought they really did nicely was utilizing his twin brother. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they had the episode and and they had the, like the duplicates, where they took like photos of them, right? And then they. Yep. Yeah. And just utilizing it, and then of course having them both be in B Fighter and in Kaku Ranger. I, I really like when Toei has a twin rain, twin, and they utilize it. Because they did the same thing in Geki Ranger. They had Geki Blue was a twin, so for the duplicate Ranger, they used his twin brother. Cool, yeah. No, I, I thought that was well done. Like, especially because I was like, oh man, like, this is great. Like, a, a lot of the times, you know, it's usually like split screen or something that is, you know, especially at, at that you know, point in time is probably, you know, you, it would have probably been really obvious, but in this case, right. like that, that's part of the charm is, Oh, you, you know, you didn't realize the actor had a twin and, and, and it looks, you know, obviously it looks so real, you know, cause it is, you know, <laughs> yep. so, so it's, 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 
it's a fun thing with that. I, I did want to also ask you about the independent voting faction from your review, the uh, Daizen Ryu. Mm. And, and I thought we could talk about that for a little bit because I... Man, when I when he when he shows up and he I, I mean as far as I I'm concerned he just decimated Tokyo like I was like <laughs> holy fuck like look at that dude and it's like it's like I I was just like wow and like it, it just seems like there's nothing that these guys whether it's the good guys or the bad guys can do to to stop this this destructive force of nature and I I don't think I really you, you, you know, like I, I, this sort of leads into questions I have about the ending that I, I sort of wanted to talk with you about. But I mean, that that character, that sort of force of nature. I guess for for fans that aren't familiar with the character on Power Rangers, this was Serpentera, correct? Yes. Yeah, and and so like it was like Lord Zed's, you know, big bad thingamabob or whatever, you know. But would always run of batteries. Yeah, and and I don't I don't think like you know that I never got the same impression. I mean, I knew Serpentero was big and bad, but like this, like you just saw like this this you know sort of you know basically you know of Japan's nightmares, you know this atomic level destructive force that wipes out an entire city, and 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 all I can think of is okay, well basically he doesn't like either factions fighting you know it's like he's not a friend to either faction so they they have to broker all these treaties just to get him to leave and stuff and and i i think it was all done sort of on a i i don't know it was kind of like an emotional thing or 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 a you know basically like like based on feelings you know it's like oh okay well as long as daisen ryu kind of senses that people aren't fighting he'll go off into space and not decimate cities so let's pretend we're not fighting for right now and then he leaves but sort of at the end of the 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 arc you know in the final episode and everything like i i had to sort of reread like you know synopses of what had happened but they they kind of refer to the idea that they you know basically the, their transformation devices these the the beasts use and everything like that these these tempoy rai rai balls or whatever they call them you know like they <laughs> basically those those go away and then also the 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 jewel i guess that that Shaddam ends up having and and based on that like when those are scattered away then of course Daisen Ryu like retreats or whatever but you know in the back of my head i'm just kind of thinking how did they you know like why why didn't he just kill him in like i don't know i i, I was sort of struggling with he, he just seemed like such an unstoppable force and i don't think i really appreciated or got how he was diffused and or stopped in the first place so maybe you could i don't know shed some more light on that for us yeah even with i've seen the series 17 times in, from start to finish and i still can't fully grasp everything that daijin ryu's role was meant to be because it seems like he was there to hurt, to pretty much balance the force, as it were, mm. and to be aside for the humans. But at the same time, why would he then go and just kill the humans off if that was his role? So he is still kind of an unknown element to me. And that's one thing I love about when I rewatch the series is just trying to pick pick up on okay where are the little hints about who exactly he, he is and what he's doing there but it seems like that he does at the end there because instead of going to the city he just figures out you know what i'm gonna go right and attack the gorma palace 
because it seems like he's figured out, well, peace is not happening because they keep breaking this peace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get I get his his modus operandi like i appreciate that and i appreciate he's kind of like galactus you know he's just a he's a force of nature he's not going to side with dr doom he's not going to side with captain america he's just going to eat your fucking planet like but but my thing is like oh how do you stop galactus and it's like oh well maybe reed richards like steals the ultimate nullifier or you know maybe they they turn the silver surfer against them or you know there eventually there's some way that they do that and in this case i just never got the vibe of like oh it, it's kind of more like oh well if we like send the silver surfer into outer space galactus will go chase him like a puppy dog you know and it, that's kind of what it felt like and i just wasn't you know i wasn't sure that i followed that correctly or not because because i i don't think i actually got that from watching the episode it's more like i read some synopses and said oh i guess that's what they intended to show me but yeah i'm going to guess that that still is something that's dealing with chinese mythology that yeah yeah fully maybe. fleshed out that makes sense because there's there's a lot of stuff like that 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 sort of deals with with the the mythology that um yeah no i that that makes sense to me i i guess i guess for me like th this is kind of a generic question but it, it seems like there are multiple endings to this this series but i was just kind of curious like what, what what exactly do you think of the endings or even the post ending like i i sort of have mixed feelings about it like i enjoyed the ending i I had questions though, like, because I, I think you end up finding out that the, you know, uh, apparently Shaddam made all these Gorma guys, you know, even the original, the Gorma, you know, the 15th, you know, the Emperor or whatever, you know, the, oh, 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 Gorma, 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 or whatever, <laughs> you know, like the, the guy who talks all funny and everything, but is the, the big bad Emperor, you know, it, it basically the idea is Shaddam has always wanted to supplant him and be the 16th Gorma or whatever. And, and they, they sort of facilitate all these machinations with the idea that basically all the Gorma are actually like clay reproductions of, yeah. you know, not the real Gorma. And, and, and so I think it's, it sounded like the original concept was the only person who was real was Shaddam, but then even in the final fight with Rio, he finds out that he himself, he, yeah. That, that he's he's also a clay monster and, and not to be a nitpicky bastard but my question is can clay monsters like procreate and make like is is akumaru and ko are they like half clay person or <laughs> i'm just i was thinking about that and i, I was like what does that mean like exactly like i, I guess are, are clay people fully functional or did did he get it on six thousand years ago somehow and i don't know how that works but you know like i was just trying to figure that out but I, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I just thought I'd ask you, like, what your take on that reveal was. Well, going throughout the series, they all, there's always this constant talk about death and rebirth, so reincarnation. So, the, the first time I watched the show, the ending did kind of frustrate me, but I was like, well, the rest of the show was good enough, it was so good, I'm going to let it slide. And then when I finally saw it subtitled, it made more sense to me later on because it's like okay they're talking about because like kaku says that this is a battle that will always have to continue on it's just like again with star wars how that no matter how many times the dark side wins the light side comes back no matter how many times the light side wins the dark side comes back there always has to be both sides of the coin mm. to battle each other so that's how i took it is that that every generation the gorma and tribe are going to reignite into a new war 
And it's probably just going to keep on happening until both sides just say, okay, we just need to stop this war altogether and work together, which will probably never happen. Yeah. So, so I guess along those lines, the, 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 the post ending, which I, I don't know, I, I, I kind of, I, I think I didn't like, like, I think I would have been fine with just the regular ending and somebody verbalizing that, but they, they seem to want to show you that, that, you know, it's like, oh, here's all your favorite cast members, you know, 50 years later, and they're all old guys. And that's but... such horrible makeup. They're yeah, yeah. I mean, awful. I mean, it's all it's all cheesy. And like even Ko, like there's this photo of Ko. And like <laughs> they couldn't even just get a photo of like a dude who's like in his 40s. Like, no, they had to take the kid actor, put like funny glasses on him, a fake mustache and powder his hair. And I was just kind of like, I don't know. It just seemed very like for something that that seemed to take itself fairly seriously given the context, you know, the, the way the, you know, the Dyson Ryu blows up the city, the way, you know, the, the, you know, Ryu was training himself and got all bloody and everything. I mean, the, the way like a lot of these characters are dispatched and go out, it, it seemed to take itself fairly seriously, but this last bit just seemed to be like this kind of goofy, like, you know, kind of like, like, it, it reminds me of like Saved by the Bell when they, they have like imaginary, like, <laughs> you know, you know, head cannon where they're sitting there kind of thinking like, what would it be like if I, right. you know, if, if, if we, if Slater and I were like 40 years older and it's like, boo do boo do boo do do And then it's like, of course it's them with powdered wigs going, Oh, I remember the time at Bayside <laughs> and shit. And that's, that's what it felt like at the end. And I thought that was kind of a, I don't know. I, I felt that post ending was weak. I don't, I don't think that the, the actual ending was weak, but I just don't think you really needed that post end. Throw it definitely throws you off, and I think that's what they were going for. Also, was because there's a lot of experimentation in that show. I mean, it's the first show that ever had not only an untransformed posing sequence, but an entire episode that had no in suit action from the Rangers at all. Mm. So I think that was just them trying to experiment to see how it would work. Yeah, like trying to trying to vie away from from maybe the tradition or turn the tradition on its head a little bit. Yeah, I can right. see that. I mean, that's that's probably what makes it interesting and why you keep coming back to the series. You know, I I and, and I don't mean to be unfair. I think I I think you're always going to be hard pressed with these series in Japan that that really do end per se, and and they're not all going to be fabulous endings i mean well, yeah. I, I i think i think that's a pitfall of of any series where you know you've got these high expectations maybe and and you want every ending to be this superior well thought out great ending and and maybe it might not always happen so i don't i don't mean to sort of you know uh hammer die ranger like i think i think it's a great show like you do i enjoyed watching it and and i for the most part like i said i like the ending you know the the real ending but that kind yeah. of post-ending. It is very strange. And like I said, the makeup in that is just awful. Like, Daigo just looks ridiculous. I think I think maybe, you know, if the execution was a little different. You know, if they took, you know, maybe they just recast it and, and had, you know, older people. And then you see right. the young actors come back. Then the minute you saw those young actors come back, then you'd make the connection. Like, oh, yeah, this is a generational thing. And, you know, maybe you could take it more seriously. Well, we'll see. Since Toei likes now to be doing, like, anniversary-type specials, maybe in 2043 they'll do a Die Ranger 50 Years Later special. 
<laughs> when we're all freaking 90 years old. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait. I'm sure everybody's like eagerly anticipating it. And then they can have the actual cast play their older selves and have a new line of Rangers. Yay. <laughs> I think before we wrap up, because I know we kind of talked about this from almost beginning to end at a, a quick breakneck pace and everything. The one one other thing I thought I'd bring up that, that was not uh, on your review, and I just thought I'd ask, is what did you think of Ryu's appearances on Gokaiger? Like, the, the, the you know, when he's, you know, he, he is still carrying out his... His life's goal to be uh, a wonderful chef and make chioza, you know, and everything and, and, and oh, delivery. Chioza. Yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to remember here. It's been a few I, years. I know. It's so. like he, he was in the movie, uh, you know, he was in the main movie right. where, where he, he, he meets up with like uh, some of the other older rangers and everything. And then in the one episode uh, that, that specifically deals with him, it's like Ikari guy one of the monsters like it's it eats basically everything so it like eats up the 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 you know jayauza and it eats up like all these people's property and so it takes gokai silvers gokai changer essentially and so so in that episode you know uh rio is is kind of like you know he, he he's one of those like you know honorary you know honorable sort of guest spots and then that's that's the episode where it basically is the the nod to Die Ranger, where you know that cast shows up at the end. They all turn into the Die Ranger forms, beat up the bad guy, and then Ikari guy gets his Gokai Changer back, and you know everything's right with the world and stuff like that. But you know, I mean, I I, I think it was fun. I, there was that part of me is like, oh, dude, still a delivery boy, okay. <laughs> but you know, but but uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe you'd be like, oh, you know, I, I get it. He's got his own little shop and everything. Right. My favorite episode, though, for Gokaiger is the one with the car range with car, uh, Red Racer. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, I really, I liked the way they did the Die Rangers. I liked on Gokaiger. I liked that Shoji showed up at the end. And then I also do like for, even though it wasn't Gokaiger and Hurricaneger, when Daigo's actor showed up for an episode and he pretty much did the Shishi Ranger pose. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a bunch of them made cameos, like, I guess besides Ryu, because it's like what you said, like when Shoji shows up, I think Kazu is with him too, isn't he? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think I think they both show up together at the same time. At some point. Like I said, it's been a while since I've watched it. Yeah, so I, you know, I just thought it'd be fun to to mention that. Like that's something that that could be fun for people. Like if they do like Die Ranger, you know, you you may you may have a further appreciation now for some of the cameos in Gokaiger because well, you that seen and the uh, Akiba Ranger when they brought yeah. in the, the Die Rangers when they rearranger and Akiba Ranger in there that was great. See that that's that's something interesting. I've never I, I have yet to see that show, and I know you referenced that a lot in your review, so it did sort of make me want to to seek that out. I, any chance, anytime there's a Die Ranger cameo, cameo I'm all for it because I'm like, yeah, Die yeah. Ranger. Yeah. So, so should we make the obligatory plea to uh, SH Figure Arts to finish off the Die Ranger team? Do <laughs> you think that's going to happen anytime soon? Uh no, I don't. No. Oh well. I keep, I, I keep hoping maybe with Die Ranger being now released in the U.S. and Bandai doing the Legacy Thunder Zord next year, Thunder Megazord that. Bandai Michael. Well, you know what? Maybe we should finish the Die Ranger teams since we've already got the body for three other Rangers done. Right, right. Yeah. It do is use Ryu Ranger's body and put a new head on it. Yeah, I, I, I would be fine if they just 
did like two packs or even like you're saying just a four pack of the rest of the guys and just got it out there but i i suppose that's sort of up in the air as of now as far as as far as shout factory goes i i know we discussed this the last time and so it seems to be moving in the general direction of the shows that you enjoy you know we started with Sue ranger and you know we moved on to die ranger i mean i i imagine what the the next one is the the ninja one is that they they already said that if Die Ranger sells well enough, Kaku Ranger would be their next show. Kaku Ranger, okay. So, so I guess that's what we have to look forward to. Now, th- this is something that you you did bring up minorly in the review too, and I think it relates to this question. But I just thought I'd ask you, like, what would you think if Shout Factory tried to go and get the the movie rights? Like, what if we just got a Blu-ray set with not only the movie from Die Ranger, which is missing in this? region one release but maybe like some of the other movies just to like see you know sort of like dip their toe in the water and see like would people buy sets with sentai teams that they maybe didn't recognize i would love to see that happen because i like i have the blu-ray set that toei released obviously it's not subtitled so i would be all for it being released in america I think that would be cool. I mean, that that might be a cool way to just see, you know, like see if if people would get into like watching movies from from other teams that weren't necessarily related to to Power Rangers and stuff like that. I mean, another another thought I was having too is I, I start to wonder about like terms of marketing and if they if they really are keen or they really are building the marketing for these Japanese stateside releases based out of nostalgia you know it's like oh well we're, we're gonna start with zoo ranger because that's you know basically the original power rangers and move on from there i started wondering like do you think there's any chance that like shout factory might release things like b fighter kabuto or like you know uh, uh i'm trying to think of the other like like met alder like the the things that like Basically, I'm trying to think of like, oh, like VR Troopers or, you, you know what I would love to see is instead of, uh, I, I'd love to see subtitled Gridman because I don't think anybody's ever fan subbed it. And you, you could conceivably say, hey, remember Superhuman Samurai Squad kids? Right. You know, like, like this is the original version of it. And I would really enjoy watching that because that's a show I never really had the opportunity to watch at all because it's not, you know, like we said, it's not fan subbed and it's not there is no region one release but is that something you would be interested in at all um i'm if i'm pretty much up to supporting any toei toku that were to get released in the u.s officially on dvd i mean even my least favorite sentai series or common rider series if they get an official dvd blu-ray release i would buy them to support them so i'm all for it with Gridman, any beef uh definitely beef fighter metalger I, the downside is I don't know if Shot would want to do that route because it was already hard enough to even get them to finish. People even had, it was like pulling teeth to even get them to bring out all of Beetleborgs Uh, uh, and VR Troopers. So I don't know if they'd really want to take that risk unless something happened with the Sentai releases where they were so comfortable with it. They were like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know a lot about the figures and everything, but I do know that I, you know, I, I myself supported the last two release. You know, I, I bought Two Ranger and Die Ranger, so I'll, I'll try to keep continue 
continuing to support those kind of you know stateside tokusatsu releases as they come out because they are they are pretty rare you know it's not like it happens every day and everything so i'm gonna continue to do that but i think i i think for the most part like this kind of wraps up our discussion on die ranger i figure i'll just give you an opportunity to tell the folks listening at home like where can they find you like where can they find you on the internet what are your plans next and and just let everybody know where they can check you out on the interwebs man well, I'm on YouTube, Kaiju no Kami. I have I've finished releasing all the Godzilla movies this year in the first half, which was surprisingly to me. Other plans, upcoming plans, I'm actually looking to do maybe some more Sentai series next year. Like I'm thinking about doing Ninja once it finishes airing, and I'm hoping Shot Factory releases more Sentai because I definitely want to review those. I'm thinking about I don't know if you saw saw my like quickie review for Dragon Ball Resurrection F. Oh, okay. But I'm thinking I want to start doing a few more quickie reviews that are just like quick paced, no movie footage, just a basic little some like review that's maybe two three minutes long. Okay, okay, that sounds great. Like I, I really just just so people at home know, like I, I enjoyed watching some of the spinoffs. Like once you once you finished all the Godzilla movies, you had that fun King Kong month, and then you did that month where you did a bunch of like Halloween theme stuff just for fun. Oh, yeah. Like like all that stuff was really fun. So if you, I mean, you know, maybe you know, I I, I would hope you'd check out you know, the Godzilla reviews and the Sentai reviews, regardless if you're listening to this podcast. But if you're also a fan of things like, you know, other monsters like King Kong or other Japanese, you know, monster movies, like, you know, definitely check out the, the Kaiju no Kami web channel because it's always fun. Yeah, and then, like, I did Friday the 13th for Friday the 13th, so I'm going to stick with every Friday the 13th. I'm going to review another movie in the series. Cool. So it will take me like 20 years to do them all, but... <laughs> but you'll get to them. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just now doing stuff I'm having fun with. I am looking at in opening up a Patreon account so I can help upgrade some of my equipment, even purchase some of those kaiju movies that are out of print that are pretty pricey, like Frankenstein Conquers the World and Space Neva. Yeah, a lot of those we we'll we'll talk about that. I maybe there's some eBay links and some things I could send you because I've been trying to catch up on some of the ones that I didn't have myself. So I'll 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 share some stuff with you later on when we get off. But yeah, so so yeah, definitely, guys, check out Marcos. Check out Kaiju no Kami on YouTube. There's plenty of fun, cool videos and everything. And again, we we thank you here at the Fanholes Podcast for joining us for this episode. It's always fun to shoot the breeze about Super Sentai with you. It's great to have you on the show. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek Derek WC signing off. Take care, guys. Sayonara.
little less ritual and a little more fun around here. Let's see what's on TV.